Homily 3 from Three Homilies on the Devil by St. John Chrysostom. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. That evil comes from sloth and virtue from diligence, and that neither wicked men nor the devil himself are able to do the wary man any harm. The proof of this is from many passages and amongst others from those which relate to Adam and to Job. The day before yesterday, we set on foot our sermon concerning the devil, out of love for you, but others, the day before yesterday, while these matters were being set on foot here, took their places in the theater, and were looking on the devil's show. They were taking part in lavacious songs, you were having a share in spiritual music. They were eating of the devil's garbage, ye were feeding on spiritual unguents. Who, pray, decoyed them? Who, pray, separated them from the sacred flock? Did the devil, pray, deceive them? How did he not deceive you? You and they are men alike. I mean, as regards to your nature. You and they have the same soul. You have the same desires, so far as nature is concerned. How is it, then, that you and they were not in the same place, because you and they have not the same purpose? On this account, they indeed are under deception, but you beyond deception. I do not say these things again as discharging the devil from accusation, but as desiring earnestly to free you from your sins. The devil is wicked, I grant this indeed, but he is wicked for himself, not towards us, if we are wary. For the nature of wickedness is of this kind. It is destructive to those alone who hold to it. Virtue is the contrary. It is not only able to profit those who hold it, but those nearest at hand too. And in order that thou mayest learn that evil is evil in itself, but good is also good to others, I provide thee with proverbial evidence. My son, saith he, if thou art become evil, thou shalt bear thine evils alone, but if wise, for thyself and thy neighbor. They were deceived in the theater, but ye were not deceived. This is the greatest proof of things, a clear testimony, and unquestionable reasoning, that in every case the purpose is master. Do thou accordingly use this method of proof, and if thou seest a man living in wickedness and exhibiting all kinds of evil, then blaming the providence of God, and saying, that by the necessity of fortune and fate, and through tyranny of demons, he give us our nature, and on all sides shifting the cause from himself indeed, and transferring it to the Creator who provides for all. Silence his speech, not by word, but by deed, showing him another fellow servant living in virtue and forbearance. There is no need of long speeches, no need of complex plan, nor even of syllogems. By means of deeds, the proof is brought about. He said to him, Thou art a servant, and he is a servant. Thou art a man, and he is a man. Thou livest in the same world. Thou art nourished with the same nourishment under the same heaven. How is it that thou art living in wickedness, he in virtue? On this account, God allowed the wicked to be mingled with the good, and did not give one law to the wicked indeed, and appointed another world as a colony for the good, but mix these and those, conferring great benefit. For the good appear more thoroughly approved when they are in the midst of those who try to hinder them from living rightly, 
and who entice them to evil, and yet keep hold of virtue. For there must, he saith, be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. Therefore also on this account he has left the wicked to be in the world, in order that the good may shine the brighter. Dost thou see how great is the gain? But the gain is not owing to the wicked, but owing to the courage of the good. On this account we admire Noah, not because he was righteous, nor yet because he was perfect alone, but because in that the perverse and wicked generation he preserved his virtue when he had no pattern of virtue, when all men invited him to wickedness, and he went his whole way contrary to them, like some traveler pursuing his way while the great multitude is being borne along vehemently. On this account, he did not simply say, Noah was just and perfect, but added, in his generation, in that perverse, that desperate generation, when there was no acquisition of virtue, to the good indeed, then, this was the gain from the wicked. Thus, at all events, also trees tossed about by contrary winds become stronger. And there is a gain to the wicked from their mixing with the good. They feel confusion, they are ashamed, they blush in their presence. And even if they do not abstain from evil, yet nevertheless they dare what they dare with secrecy. And this is no small thing not to have transgression publicly committed, for the life of the others becomes the accuser of the wickedness of these. Hear at least what they say about the righteous man. He is grievous to us, even when beheld, and it is no small beginning of amendment to be tormented at his presence. For if the sight of the righteous man did not torment them, this word would not have been uttered. But to be stung and pinched in conscience at his presence would be no little hindrance to indulging in wickedness with pleasure. Dost thou see how great is the gain both to the good from the wicked and to the wicked from the good? On this account, God has not set them apart, but allowed them to be mingled together. Let our argument also about the devil be the same. For on this account, he had left him also to be here, in order that he might render thee the stronger, in order that he may make the athlete more illustrious, in order that the contests may be greater. When, therefore, anyone says, Why has God left the devil here? Say these words to him, because he does no harm to the wary and the heedful, but even profits them, not owing to his own purpose, for that is wicked, but owing to their courage, who have used that wickedness aright. Since he even fixed upon Job, not on this account that he might make him more illustrious, but in order that he might upset him. On this account he is wicked, both because of such an opinion and such a purpose. But notwithstanding, he did no harm to the righteous man, but rather rejoiced in the conflict as we accordingly showed. Both the demon showed his wickedness and the righteous man his courage. But he does upset many, says one, owing to their weakness, not owing to his strength, for this too has been already proved by many examples. Direct thine own intention aright then, and thou shalt never receive harm from any but shall get the greatest gain, not only from the good, but even from the wicked. For on this account, as I have before said, 
God has suffered men to be with one another, and especially the wicked with the good, in order that they may bring them over to their own virtue. Hear at least what Christ saith to his disciples. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a woman who took leaven and hid in it three measures of meal, so that the righteous have the power of leaven, in order that they may transfer the wicked to their own manner of conduct. But the righteous are few, for the leaven is small, but the smallness in no way injures the lump. But that little quantity converts the whole of the meal to itself by means of the power inherent in it. So accordingly, the power also of the righteous has its force not in the magnitude of their number, but in the grace of the Spirit. There were twelve apostles. Dost thou see how little is the leaven? The whole world was in unbelief. Dost thou see how great is the lump? But those twelve turned the whole world to themselves. The leaven and the lump had the same nature, but not the same manner of conduct. On this account he left the wicked in the midst of the good, that since they are of the same nature as the righteous, they may also become of the same purpose. Remember these things. With these stop the mouths of the indolent, the dissolute, the slothful, the indisposed towards the labors of virtue, those who accuse their common master. Thou hast sinned, he saith, be still. Do not add a second more grievous sin. It is not so grievous to sin as after the sin to accuse the master. Take knowledge to the cause of the sin, and thou wilt find that there is none other than thyself who has sinned. Everywhere there is need of a good intention. I have shown you this not from simple reasoning only, but from the case of fellow servants living in the world itself. Do thou also use this proof. Thus too our common master will judge us. Learn this method of proof, and no one will be able to reason with you. Is any a fornicator? Show him another who is self-restrained. Is any covetous and rapacious? Show him one who gives alms. Does he live in jealousy and envy? Show him one clean from passion. Is he overcome by anger? Bring into the midst one who is living in wisdom. For we must not only have recourse to ancient example, but take our models from present times. For even today, by the grace of God, good deeds are done not less than of old. Is a man incredulous? And does he think that the scriptures are false? Does he not believe that Job was such as he was? Show him another man, emulating the life of that righteous person. Thus will the master also judge us. He places fellow servants with fellow servants, nor does he give sentence according to his own judgment, in order that no one may begin to say again, as that servant said, who was entrusted with the talent, and who instead of a talent brought the accusation. Thou art an, an austere man, for he ought to mourn, because he did not double the talent, but rendered his sin the more grievous, by adding to his own idleness his accusation against the master. For what, saith he, I knew thee that thou art an austere man, O miserable and wretched, ungrateful and lazy man. Thou oughtest to have accused thine own idleness, to have taken away somewhat from thy former sin. But thou, in bringing an account against the master, hast doubled thy sin, instead of doubling thy talent. On this account, God places together servants and servants 
in order that the one set may judge the other, and that some being judged by others may not be able for the future to accuse the master. On this account, he saith, the Son of Man cometh in the glory of his Father. See the equality of the glory. He does not say in glory like to the glory of the Father, but in the glory of the Father, and will gather together all the nations. Terrible is the tribunal, terrible to the sinful and the accountable, since to those who are conscious to themselves of good works it is desirable and mild and he will place the sheep on his right hand and the kids on his left. Both these and those are men. For what reason, then, are those indeed sheep but these kids? Not that thou mayest learn a difference in their nature, but the difference in their purpose. But for what reason are they who did not show compassion kids? Because that animal is unfruitful and is not able to contribute services, either by its milk or by progeny or by its hair, to those who possess it, being on all sides destitute of such a contribution as this, on account of the immaturity of its age. On this account he has called those who bear no fruit by comparison kids, but those on the right hand sheep, for from these the offering is great, both of their natural wool, their progeny, and their milk. What then does he say to them? Ye saw me hungering, and ye fed me, naked, and ye clothed me, a stranger, and ye took me in. Again to those he says the contrary, and yet both these and those were like men, both these and those received the same promises, the same rewards were assigned to both on doing right. The same person came both to these and to those, with the same nakedness, and to these and to those with the same hunger and in the same way and a stranger. All things were alike to those and to these. How then was the end not the same? Because the purpose did not permit it. For this alone made the difference. On this account, the one sent went to Gehenna and the other to the kingdom. But if the devil were the cause to them of their sins, these would not be destined to be chastened when another sinned and drove them on. Dost thou see here both those who sin and those who do good works? Dost thou see how, on seeing their fellow servants, they were silenced? Come, and let us bring our discourse to another example for thy benefit. There were ten virgins, he says. Here, again, there are purposes which are upright and purposes which are sinful, in order that thou mayest see side by side both the sins of the one and the good works of the others. For the comparison makes these things the plainer. And these and those were virgins, and these were five, and also those. All awaited the bridegroom. How then did some enter in, and others did not enter in? Because some indeed were churlish, and others were gentle and loving. Dost thou see again that the purpose determined the nature of the end, not the devil? Dost thou see that the judgments were parallel, and that the verdict given proceeds from those who are like each other? Fellow servants will judge fellow servants. Dost thou wish that I should show thee a comparison arising from contrasts? For there is one also from contrasts, so that the condemnation may become the greater. The men of Nineveh, he saith, shall rise up and shall condemn this generation. 
the judged are no longer alike for the one are barbarians the others are jews the one enjoyed prophetic teaching the others were never partakers of a divine instruction and this is not the only difference but the fact that in that case the servant went to them in this the master and that man came and proclaimed an overthrow but this man declared the glad tidings of a kingdom of heaven which of these was the more likely would believe the barbarians and ignorant and they who had never partaken of divine teaching or they who had from their earliest age been trained in prophetic books to everyone it is plain that the jews would be more likely to believe but the contrary took place and these disbelieved the master when he preached a kingdom of heaven and those believed their fellow servants when he threatened an overthrow in order that their goodness and these men's folly might be manifested to a greater degree is there a demon a devil chance or fate has not each become the cause to himself both of evil and of virtue for if they themselves were not to be liable to account you would not have said that they shall judge this generation nor would he have said that the queen of the south would condemn the jews for then indeed not only will one people condemn another people but one man will often judge a whole people when they who it is allowed might readily have been deceived are found to remain undeceived and they who ought in every way to have the advantage turn out to be worsted on this account we made mention of adam and of job for there is necessity to revert to that subject so as to put the finish to our discourse he attacked adam indeed by means of mere words but job by means of deeds for the one he denuded of all his wealth and deprived of all his children but from this man he took not away anything great or little of his possessions but let us rather examine the very words and the method of the plot the serpent came saith he and said to the woman what is it that god has said ye shall not eat of every tree which is in the garden here it is a serpent there a woman in the case of job meanwhile great is the difference between the counsellors the one is a servant the other is a partner of the man's life she is an helpmate but the other is under subjection dost thou see how unpardonable this is eve indeed the servant in subjection deceived but him not even his partner and helpmate could overthrow but let us see what he saith what is this that god hath said thou shalt not eat of every tree assuredly indeed god did not say this but the opposite see the villainy of the devil he said that which was not spoken in order that he might learn what was spoken when then did the woman she ought to have silenced him she ought not to have exchanged a word with him in foolishness she declared the judgment of the master thereby she afforded the devil a powerful hand see what an evil it is to commit ourselves rashly to our enemies and to conspirators against us on this account christ used to say give not holy things to the dogs neither cast ye your pearls before the swine lest they turn and rend you and this happened in the case of eve she gave the holy things to the dog to the swine he trod underfoot the words and turned and rent the woman and see how he works evil ye shall not die the death saith he give me your attention on this point that the woman was able to understand the deceit 
for he immediately announced his enmity and his warfare against God. He immediately contradicted him. Let it be so. Before this thou declarest the judgment to one who wished to learn it. After this, why didst thou follow one who said the opposite? God said, Ye shall die the death. The devil made answer to this and said, Ye shall not die the death. What could be clearer than this warfare? From what other quarter ought one to learn the enemy and the foe? Then from his answer return to God. She ought then immediately to have fled from the bait. She ought to have started back from the snare. Ye shall not die the death, saith he. For God knoweth that on the day on which ye eat, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. In hope of a greater promise, she cast away the goods of her hand. He promised that he would make them gods, and cast them down to the tyranny of death. Whence then, O woman, didst thou believe the devil? What good didst thou discern? Was not the trustworthiness of the lawgiver sufficient to prove that the one was God, both creator and framer of the world, and the other the devil and an enemy? And I do not say the devil. Thou thoughtest that he was a mere serpent. Ought a serpent to claim such a quality that thou shouldest tell him the master's judgment? And seest that it was possible to perceive the deceit, but she would not. And yet God gave many proofs of his own beneficence, and showed forth his care of his works. For he formed man who had not existed before, and breathed a soul into him, and made him according to his image, making him ruler of all things upon the earth, and granted him a helpmate, planted paradise, and having committed to him the use of the rest of the trees, refused him the tastes of one only, and this very prohibition he made for man's advantage. But the devil manifested no good thing by his deed, whether small or great, but, exciting the woman with mere words and puffing her up with vain hopes, thus he deceived her. But nevertheless, she considered the devil to be more worthy of credit than God, although God showed forth his good will by his works. The woman believed in one who professed mere words and nothing else. Dost thou see how from folly alone and sloth, and not from force, the deceit happened? And in order that thou mayest learn it more clearly, hear how the scripture accuses the woman. For it does not say being deceived, but seeing the tree that it was fair, she ate. So that the blame belongs to her uncontrollable vision, not to the deceit alone which comes from the devil. For she was defeated by yielding to her own desire, not by the wickedness of the demon. On this account, she did not have the benefit of pardon. But though she said, the serpent deceived me, she paid the utmost penalty. For it was in her power not to have fallen. And in order that thou mayest understand this more clearly, come, let us conduct our discourse to the case of Job. From the defeated to the vanquisher, from the conquered to the conqueror, for this man will give us greater zeal, so that we may raise our hands against the devil. There he who deceived and conquered was a serpent. Here the tempter was a woman, and she did not prevail. And yet at least she was far more persuasive than he. For to Job, after the destruction of his wealth, after the loss of his children, after being stripped bare of all his goods, her wiles were added. But in the other case there was nothing of this kind. 
Adam did not suffer the destruction of his children, nor did he lose his wealth. He did not sit upon a dunghill, but inhabited a paradise of luxury, and enjoyed all manner of fruits, and fountains, and rivers, and every other kind of security. Nowhere was there labor, or pain, or despair, and cares, or reproaches, and insults, or the countless ills which assailed Job. But nevertheless, when nothing of this kind existed, he fell and was overthrown. Is it not evidence that it was on account of sloth? Even so, therefore, as the other, when all things beset him and weighed upon him, stood nobly and did not fall. Is it not evident that his steadfastness was owing to his vigilance of soul? On both sides, beloved, reap the utmost gain and avoid the imitation of Adam, knowing how many ills are begotten of indolence, and imitate the piety of Job, learning how many glorious things spring from earnestness. Consider him the conqueror throughout, and thou shall have much consolation in all pain and peril. For as it were in the common theater of the world, that blessed and noble man stands forth, and by means of the suffering which happened to him, discourses to all, to bear all things which befall them nobly, and never give in to the troubles which come upon them. For verily there is no human suffering which cannot receive consolation from thence. For the sufferings which are scattered over the whole world, these came together and bore down upon one body, even his. What pardon then shall there be for him who is unable to bear with thankfulness his spare of the troubles which are brought upon him, since he appears not bearing a part only, but the entire ills of all men? And in order that thou mayest not condemn the extravagance of my words, come and let us take in hand severally the ills that came upon him, and bring forward this fulfillment of them. And if thou wishest, let us first bring forward that which seems to be the most unendurable of all, I mean poverty and the pain which arises from it. For everywhere all men bewail this. What was poorer then than Job? Who was poorer than the outcasts at the bath, and those who sleep in the ashes of the furnace? Poorer, in fact, than all men. For these indeed have one ragged garment. But he sat naked, and had only the garment which nature supplies, the clothing of the flesh. And this the devil destroyed on all sides, with a distressing kind of decay. Again, these poor folk are at least under the roof of the porches at the baths, and are covered with a shelter. But he continued always to pass his nights in the open air, not having even the consolation of a bare roof. And what is still greater, the fact that these are conscious of their terrible evils within themselves. But he was conscious of nothing against himself. For this is to be noticed in each of the things which happened to him, a thing which caused him greater pain and produced more perplexity, the ignorance of the reason of what took place. These persons then, as I said, would have many things with which to reproach themselves, and this contributes no little to the consolation in calamity, to be conscious of oneself, of being punished justly. But he was deprived of this consolation, and while exhibiting a conversation full of virtue, endured the fate of those who had dared to do extreme wickedness. And these folk who are with us are poor from the outset, and from the beginning are versed in calamity. But he endured calamity in which he was unversed, experiencing the immense change from wealth. 
as then the knowledge of the cause of which takes place is the greatest consolation so it is not less than this to have been versed in poverty from the beginning and so to continue in it of both these consolations that man was deprived and not even then did he fall away dost thou see him indeed come to extreme poverty even in comparison with which it is impossible to find a fellow for what could be poorer than the naked who has not even a roof over him yea rather not even was it in his power to enjoy the bare ground but he sat upon the dunghill therefore whenever thou seest thyself come to poverty consider the suffering of the just one and straightway thou shalt rise up and shake off every thought of despondency this one calamity therefore seems to men to be the groundwork of all sufferings together and the second after it yea rather before it is the affliction of the body who then was ever so disabled who endured such disease who received or saw any one else receive so great an affliction no one little by little his body was wasted and a stream of worms on every side issued from his limbs the running was constant and the evil smell which surrounded him was strong and the body being destroyed little by little and decaying with such putrefaction used to make food distasteful and hunger was to him strange and unusual for not even was he able to enjoy the nourishment which was given to him for saith he i see my food to be loathsome whenever then thou fallest into weakness o man remember that body and that saintly flesh for it was saintly and pure even when it had so many wounds and if any one belonged to the army and then unjustly and without reasonable pretext be hanged upon the pillory and has his sides rasped to pieces let him not think the matter to be a reproach nor let him give way to the pain when he thinks upon this saint but this man says one has much comfort and consolation in knowing that god was bringing these sufferings upon him this indeed especially troubled and disturbed him to think that the just god who had in every way been served by him was at war with him and he was not able to find any reasonable pretext for what took place since when at last he afterwards learned the cause see what piety he showed for when god said to him dost thou think that i have had dealings with thee in order that thou mayest appear righteous conscience stricken he says i will lay my hand upon my mouth once have i spoken but to a second word i will not proceed and again as far as the hearing of the ear i have heard thee before but now mine eye hath seen thee wherefore i have held myself to be vile and am wasted away and i consider myself to be earth and ashes but if thou thinkest that this is sufficient for consolation thou wilt thyself also be able to experience this comfort and even if thou dost not suffer any of these misfortunes at the hand of god but owing to the insolence of men and yet give us thanks and does not blaspheme him who is able to prevent them indeed but who permits them for the sake of testing thee just as they who suffer at the hands of god are crowned so also thou shalt obtain the same reward because thou hast borne nobly the calamities which are brought upon thee from men 
and didst give thanks to him who was able indeed to hinder them, but not willing. Behold, then, thou hast seen poverty and disease, and both in the extremest degree brought upon this just man. Dost thou wish that I should show thee the warfare at nature's hands, in such excessive degree waged then upon this noble man? He lost ten children, the ten at one fell swoop, the ten in the very bloom of youth, ten who displayed much virtue, and that not by the common law of nature, but by a violent and pitiable death. Who could be able to recount so great a calamity? No one. Whenever, therefore, thou losest son and daughter together, have recourse to this just man, and thou shalt find altogether much comfort for thyself. Were these, then, the only misfortunes which happened to him, the desertion and treachery of his friends, the gibbs and raillery and the mockery and derision, and the tearing in pieces of all, was something intolerable, for the character of calamities was not of such a kind, that they who reproach us about our calamities are wont to vex our souls. Not only was there no one to soothe him, but many even on, on many sides to beset him with taunts. And thou seest him lamenting this bitterly, and saying, But even you too fell upon me. And he calls them pitiless, and says, My neighbors have rejected me, and my servants spake against me. And I called the sons of my concubines, and they turned away from me. And others, saith he, sport upon me, and became the common talk of all. And my very raiment, saith he, abhorred me. These things at least are unbearable to hear, still more to endure in their reality, extreme poverty and intolerable disease, new and strange, the loss of children so many and so good, and in such a manner reproaches and jibes and insults from men, some indeed mocked and some reproached, and others despised, not only enemies but even friends, not only friends but even servants, and they not only mock and reproach but even abhorred him, and this not for two or three or ten days, but for many months, and a circumstance which happened in that man's case alone. Not even had he comfort by night, but the delusions of terrors by night were a greater aggravation of his misfortunes by day. For that he endured more grievous things in his sleep, hear what he says. Why dost thou frighten me in sleep and terrify me in visions? What man of iron, what heart of steel could have endured so many misfortunes? For if each of these was unbearable in itself, consider what a tumult their simultaneous approach excited. But nevertheless he bore all these, and in all that happened to him he sinned not, nor was there guile in his lips. Let the suffering of that man then be the medicines for our ills. In his grievous surging sea the harbor of our sufferings, and in each of the accidents which befall us, let us consider this saint, and seeing one person exhausting the misfortunes of the universe, we shall conduct ourselves bravely in those which fall to our share. And as to some affectionate mother stretching forth her hands on all sides, and receiving and reviving her terrified children, so let us always flee to this brook, and even if the pitiable troubles of all men assail us, let us take sufficient comfort for all, and so depart. And if thou sayest, He was Job, and for this reason bore all this, but I am not like him, 
thou suppliest me with a greater accusation against thyself and a fresh praise of him for it is more likely that thou shouldest be able to bear all this than he why pray because he indeed was before the day of grace and of the law when there was not much strictness of life when the grace of the spirit was not so great when sin was hard to fight against when the curse prevailed and when death was terrible but now our restings have become easier all these things being removed after the coming of christ so that we have no excuse when we are unable to reach the same standard as he after so long a time and such advantage and so many gifts given to us by god considering therefore all these things that misfortunes were greater for him and that when the conflict was more grievous then he stripped for the contest let us bear all that comes upon us nobly and with much thankfulness in order that we may be able to obtain the same crown as he by the grace and loving kindness of jesus christ our lord with whom be glory to the father together with the holy spirit now and always forever and ever amen end of homily three end of three homilies on the devil by saint john chrysostom